Good morning. Good morning. Man, good morning. God has been, man, just speaking in some awesome ways. We had a great prayer time. I always know that service is going to go well uh, when the volunteers show up and the prayer time's good, right? Like, that's how I know. When everyone's confirmed on Planning Center and the prayer team is amazing, I'm like, it's going to be a good Sunday. No one, uh, you know, no one might might not know what exactly we're going to do, but we're really excited about what's going to happen. But I, I'm really encouraged today. Yesterday, we went on a prayer walk as as a team and opened it up to anybody who wanted to just come to the new building, which is right over on 827 East Main. And we walked uh, from there to right in front of the Mormon Temple and then across to the park and then back to our building. We stopped a couple times and prayed and I'm praying over different things. And I have to say, I'm really excited about what the Lord is doing. And I, I believe that this is the beginning of something really special that God desires to do in the valley. I believe that there's a special anointing and a special movement that God is doing in the state of Arizona. I believe that Banner Church is one of those key churches that will be a part of the great uh, revival and reforming of the Christian faith here in the valley, meaning that we're going to see the spirit begin to do things that we have not seen in the valley before, or if we have seen them, it has been a while since we've seen that kind of outbreak of of the move of God in such a powerful way. And we have believed that from the beginning when we moved here to plant the church. Uh, we believe that still today, that healing uh, is here, that life restoration is here. And we're really thankful for all of you that we as a family can be a part of what God's doing. So really excited, excited that the building process is moving forward on our new space, excited to go around and pray for our neighbors. You know, we really love our neighbors here. We love our schools in fact, on Friday, we're going to be here doing a service project really to love on this school. Uh, this week, we got to bring donuts to them, to the teachers and administrators. And it was great just to hear from them that they like us. That's always nice when you're in a school. Uh, but also, we're planning an event. And so if you'd like to come, if you'd like to be a part of the Love the Block Serve Day, go online uh, to our church center app or go on the website. I think it's on the website. You can sign up. It's 12 and over because we're going to be painting. So we love kids, but I have under 12. They will not be coming because <laughs> I don't trust them with paint, right? Amen. But really excited about what the Lord's doing. Let me, let me ask a question this morning. Have you ever had to wait on God? Right? Have you ever heard from God, uh, maybe a word or a direction, and maybe you felt led to step into a unique space or begin a new venture? You very clearly felt led by the Lord, but when you stepped into that space, things got difficult. Right? They got difficult. You hadn't, you hadn't seen the fruit yet, but things started to get difficult. You had the calling, or you had the word, or you had the, the guidance from the Lord, but as you stepped in, it hadn't really been fulfilled yet. And so what, what started to happen, let me, let me ask if this sounds familiar, is as you were waiting on God, you started seeing uh, things in the natural that were not encouraging. As you were waiting on God, the bills started to pile up. As you were waiting on God, the leads just were not coming in. As you were waiting on God, the group you started or the ministry you were, you, you were launching just did not take off. And it left you wondering, where is God? And how long do I have to wait for him? 
right? Did I, did I, did I misunderstand him? Did I mess up? Did, did, I, did I do something? Did, have I angered him? Is there a reason that, that he is running so late, in my opinion? I see all these things beginning to stack up against me, and I'm wondering, where is God? Have you ever been there? Well, this is the place we're going to pick up with Saul. We're in a series called Anti-Hero. We're looking at King Saul, who should have been a great hero in the life of Israel, but ends up eventually becoming a villain against the will of God. And so we're going to ask the question, what should we do when we're waiting on God or we're waiting on God's promises and we're not yet seeing in the physical what we believe he has promised in the spiritual? If you brought your Bibles, I want you to open up to 1 Samuel, if you would, with me. 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to start right in verse 1. I'm going to pray before we do, and it also gives you some time to open up. Don't worry, the words will also be on the screen as well. If you're joining us online, the words are on the screen. But let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, as we've been diving deep into the word of God over the past few weeks, I thank you that you reveal truth. Holy Spirit, thank you. You're here with us revealing truth. And so we as a family, a body of faith gathered today. We welcome your work, Holy Spirit, to reveal the truth of the word of God in your name. Amen. How many of you are just thankful for the word of God? Is the word of God good? I love the word of God. Man, as I, as I preach, the hardest thing for me to do is to cut down the amount I want to say. Because the deeper that I dive into the word of God, the more that it, this continues to renew me, to encourage me, to astonish me, right? Constantly, the word of God is so good. I want to start in 1 Samuel 13. It says, Saul, who is the, the, the focus of a lot of what we're going to be talking about, was 30 years old when he became king. It says, and he reigned over Israel 42 years, kind of like our politicians. <laughs> Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash. I know you want to say it, so somebody say Michmash. Great. In the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gebeah and Benjamin. For, for context for us today, if, if you haven't been with us, Jonathan is the son of Saul. And uh, he's a pretty, pretty cool dude. It says in verse 3, um, oh, sorry, I'll, I'll finish verse 2, I apologize. It says, the rest of the men he sent back to their homes. It says, Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. It says, then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news that Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. Now, when we're reading Samuel, there's things that are happening where they're referencing past and forwards. So you're like, where does this fall in the criteria? But for those of you who are with us, you saw when Saul went out and began to attack the Philistines, and he began his campaign against the Philistines in a central outpost of Gebeah. And after he had, you know, he had rallied people, but 
he sent them home because he didn't need, or let's be honest, couldn't feed 330,000 people, right? I mean, just the infrastructure of bathrooms alone would be difficult for that many people. So he sends them home, and he keeps with them 3,000, right? 1,000 men with his son Jonathan, and 2,000 at Michmash. Someone say Michmash. And so Jonathan attacks the Philistines because Jonathan is honestly an incredible leader, an incredible warrior, and above all, an incredible man of God. And we're going to see later how Jonathan is just full of faith, absolutely full of faith. And so Jonathan attacks the Philistines, and Saul rallies everyone, and they go from Michmash to Gilgal. So they leave uh, this outpost that they've taken and they go to Gilgal. And we're going to learn that he's been instructed to go to Gilgal, to go into more of a hill country than where they are now. I'm just giving you this context because it's going to set up what happens, okay? A little semi-biblical geography here. So verse 5 says, Then the Philistines assembled to fight Israel. And here's what they had. It says they have 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They didn't even bother counting. That's a little poetic brutality right there, right? Says they went up and they camped where? Where did they camp? Michmash, right? East of Bethaven. So the Philistines uh, muster a, a massive army and they go to the place where Saul had been to basically retake what had been taken from them. And, but the good news is that Saul had been commanded to move to Gilgal in the hills, and he was told to go there and to wait. It's almost like God knew what he was doing, right? He's like, I know there's an army as numerous as the sands, so bro, you need to get out of here, and you need to, to get your people away. Here's the thing about the plans of God. Just because you don't understand the plans of God doesn't mean he doesn't have plans. Right. I've noticed, you know, as someone who plans and implements things, the people who are the loudest saying, is there a plan, just don't know the plan. And so Saul is being directed and guided, but to be honest, subplot, he doesn't seem to understand that that's what's happening. Verse 6, you still with me? says, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, it says they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and in cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal and the troops with him were quaking with fear." So the army has this big hive, like, yes, we crushed them. All in for Michmash. And then they're like, oh no, we're going to die, right? Because they see this army beginning to amass in front of them. And it says in scripture that they're so afraid or hard pressed that they hid in caves. And I think that's an interesting note, this act of hiding. Because if you were here last week, who also was slightly notorious for hiding? Saul. Saul. Saul was slightly notorious about hiding. This is the thing about leadership. As goes the leader, so goes the ship. So you have a leader who is prone to hide 
when things get uncomfortable. And now you have a people who are prone to hide when things get uncomfortable. In fact, it says that some crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad. You know what that means? They left the country. Right? You know all these people that keep saying every election cycle that they're going to leave the country and then they never leave? It's like, we'll buy you the ticket. But they won't go. These people left. Right? They're like, we're out of here. We don't trust this. We don't trust this dude. Look at this army. You can't even count them. We are out of here. And they left the country. Another way of saying this is there was mass desertion. That's not a good start to a military campaign. Everyone leaving. But why was the army so afraid? They just won. Well, they're afraid because it looked like an absolute losing battle for a couple reasons. One, there's the numerical superiority. Two, there is the, uh, there's the resource superiority. Because the Philistines were a society of warriors and the Israels were, Isra Israelites were not. At this time, they were not a successful group of warriors. They had been beaten down so bad, they didn't even have a standing army. Remember, it took Saul cutting up an oxen and sending it around to other tribes saying, you're, you know, like mob style, putting a horse in their, in a horse head in their bed, like, you're going to get yours if you don't come out to, you know, to fight. And they're like, all right, well, I'm more afraid of you than I am them, so we'll come out. They're no standing army. But here's the other point that, that, that you might not know is that they didn't even have swords. Look, look at, jump down with me real quick. We'll come back to this, but jump down with me in your Bible to verse 19. It says, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said wisely, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, sickles sharpened. The price was two thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, look at verse 22. On the day of the battle, do we have this on here? Yes. Not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Think about that for a second. You're going against 3,000 chariots, 6,000 people to drive them, and enough people that they outnumber the sands. And you have not one sword or spear that's intimidating right we we can't blame them for being afraid i would be afraid if it's just me there no no sword just like stick right like that's it that's it just stick rock just watching them line up all swords right all spears and then it's like don't say charge i don't want to go Right? Where are we going? They have chariots. They have horses carrying weapons. We don't have any weapons. That's scary. And so in the natural, in the human perspective, that's a lost cause. Now, if you read the word of God, you, don't, you know it's not. But in the natural, that's a lost cause. And so this is what's setting up what's happening for them. They're watching this. And it says, jump back with me to verse 8 in 1 Samuel 13 says he waited seven days he meaning Saul he said he waited seven days the time set by Samuel but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter so he said bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings and Saul offered the burnt offering just 
as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. And Saul replied, When I saw the men were scattering, and that you did not come at this set time, and that the Philistines were assembled in Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I've not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. It says, Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Saul says, or Samuel had told Saul, you're supposed to wait for me for seven days. That's the, that's the time I've given you. Wait for me for seven days. And I imagine day one was pretty positive, right? Like, oh yeah, this is going well. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's probably taking him a while to get here. He's got to walk or he's got a donkey. Day two, it was probably like, okay, no, that's cool. He'll be here. If you've ever led people, you know how this works, right? It's like, no, it's fine. Yeah, no. Day three, People, people started seeing the other army and they started looking at their army with no swords and looking at 6,000 charioters. And they're like, hmm. day four, desertions, right? People are like, we're not gonna win. This dude's not showing up. Pastors are always late. We can't handle this, right? Day five, afraid, right? Day six, he's not coming. Let's just give him one more day. He said day seven, right? He said day seven he would come. These, these prophet guys are kind of weird. He said day seven, let's wait for him to come. Day seven, the morning of day seven comes. Saul says, I'm going to do it myself. So Saul offers the sacrifices. And you might think like, what's the big deal, right? He says in here, I was seeking the favor of God. What's the big deal? I mean, he was seeking the favor of God, right? I mean, he, he was trying to do his thing. It was just kind of his own way, right? He was seeking the favor of God. He was trying to make something happen. It was taking too long. See, there's a question in Israel at this time of, would the king be subject to the prophet and the word of God, or would he overrule him? Would the king, though legally he could do really whatever he wanted, would he submit his heart and his ways to the leading of God or would he disobey God via the prophet? So Saul says, I can't wait, I gotta do it. And it says immediately Samuel arrives. I think of it kind of like when I catch my kids fighting where it's like they've been going for a while, I can tell, but when I show up, I like walk in as one is slapping the other one across the side of the head. And then they look at me like, hey, <laughs> how's it going? Like I saw Samuel catches him like mid burn on this thing because he takes the burnt offerings. We don't know what he does to the fellowship, but he takes the burnt offerings and Samuel come in, comes in and is furious at Saul because he has directly disobeyed what God had said to do. And he says, no, 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 I, I, I had to do this. But here's the thing, you directly disobeying God and thinking that pleases God is not a thing. It doesn't work that way. Well, God, I, I know you said this, but I wanted to do this, and really I did it for you. 
And so Saul does what anyone caught doing something wrong does. He plays the blame game. You know the blame game, right? My army was scattering. It's their fault. They were leaving me. I was down to 600 men. God, yes, I know you told me to obey you, but everybody else was leaving, and I needed something. God, that's a tiny amount of people. That's true. That is a tiny amount of people. But it's not smaller than what God has done something amazing with. I mean, Gideon defeated an army with 300 men and some clay pots. So it's not even impossible in their historical context. Right? And in Gideon, God kept saying, keep cutting this army down, Gideon. He was like, all right, let's keep dwindling it down. If they drink like this, they're out. If they drink like this, then they're going to fight. Kept dwindling it down. Saul saw the dwindling of his army and said, well, I better do something about this. And he says, well, it's their fault. My army was scattering. Then that doesn't work. And he says, well, Samuel, it's your fault because you were late. And when he says it's your fault because you were late, what is he really saying? It's God's fault. God, you were late. Now the question is, was God late? I mean, think about it. He says, first of all, I mean, God isn't late. He's never late. But he said, wait seven days. This is still the seventh day. He didn't go eight days and say, fine, it's been all seven. And now I'm going to just do it myself because something's happened. Or I don't, right? He doesn't make it the full. He waits almost the full time and does it on the seventh day. See, here's the real problem. Saul was willing to obey God up to a level of discomfort. Isn't that human nature? We are willing to obey God for a set amount of time, pain, and discomfort. But if it crosses that line, it's got to be someone's fault, and we got to do something about it. But here's the reality of faith. How do we know if we have faith? We know we have faith if we ask, will we trust God when it's uncomfortable? Or will we take matters into our own hands what we do not see what we want to see in the physical realm? Will we bypass patience? Will we take the position of God in our own life? Here's the thing about faith. Faith requires trusting God when it is uncomfortable. Not even when, when it is uncomfortable. Let me tell you something about faith. Faith only grows in discomfort. That's why our brothers and sisters around the world who live in constant discomfort have the greatest faith. And this nation that lives in constant comfort has sad faith. Because faith is not grown in ease. Why would you need it? I have a lot of faith that God's going to provide. Everything's easy. Everything, right? Faith is grown where it's tested. It's grown in the space between what we know God said and what we're currently experiencing. Faith begins when the promise of God is given, but faith is fulfilled when the work of God is complete. But in between, faith is built in the waiting, in the tension, in the discomfort. But when we're waiting, right, that's the real testing of our faith. Sometimes we say, oh, it's a crisis of faith. As if somehow our, our, our faith being tested by suffering means, means we're abnormal. But I'm just here to tell you, that's the only way it's ever been built is through suffering. So if you're suffering, you're not abnormal. If you're in tension, you're not abnormal. If you're wrestling through some things, if you haven't seen God show up yet in the way that you're believing him to show up, it, that doesn't make you a weirdo 
or like an abnormal Christian. I know when we turn on like the Christian radio, they're so positive and like even the saddest thing is like, well, we're just so praying for everything just makes you feel like you can't wrestle or be in tension. But I'm here today to save somebody out of their own brain and just tell you that living in tension and being stretched and being uncomfortable is part of developing faith. It's like a blacksmith who tests a sword or shield to see if any impurity has come into it that would make it break. Or testing it like gold who, refined by fire, begins to remove all of the impurity that, that would come in and begin to stain it and crack it and come against it. Like Romans 5 says, suffering produces endurance and endurance produces hope and hope doesn't put us to shame. See, this was a moment for Saul to build faith. There was a gap between what he could see, the army, and what God had promised, favor and victory. He could see his people falling away, but instead he was told to wait. Instead of waiting though, what did he do? He bypassed a chance to build faith. I don't know if you've ever been in the waiting and instead of building faith, you bypassed it. I've definitely done that, right? I know I have. I've taken matters into my own hands, right? It's like, I'm gonna make it work for God. I'm gonna prove to him that like he, you know, it's finally time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cue him. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't mean we do things to prepare the heart of God or prepare our heart. It doesn't mean we don't pursue what God has given us. We just sit back and say, I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna wait for God. But Saul was told to do something with me. I mean, scripture is full of people who were told something by God and bypassed it. I mean, think of Abraham. Never heard of Abraham, one of the forefathers of our faith, right? The very beginning. He was told, you're going to have a son. He was like, okay. But it took too long, right? It took too long. So what does he do? He has Ishmael through another woman. And think about how many problems have come from the separation in the children of Abraham and the conflict that still exists to this day. Because Abraham was not willing to wait, he bypassed obedience to try to get to the promise of God. Think about Moses, right? Moses put in the perfect place, longing to liberate his people. What a better place to live in to liberate your people than the palace of the person oppressing your people who you basically can call dad. But he is impatient to liberate his own people. So what does he do? He murders somebody. And has to go into hiding. And even when he returns, he is so self-conscious that he has to have someone else speak for him. Why? Because he bypassed because of impatience. See, time and time again, church, we're given the choice. Will I obey God even when it's uncomfortable? Will I wait on him even when I can't see the result? Will I hold fast to what's spoken even if it feels like I've not heard something in a while? Anyone ever been there? People have asked me, Pastor, how do I stay faithful in that? When, when I feel like God has spoken something to me, but it's been so long, and I've been in this space, and, and now I'm just like, I'm trying to find anything. I'm trying to work different angles, just trying to discover anything. And, and I always go back to this thought. How do, we, how do we face this when it feels like God has been silent? When we're waiting on God, he's given us a word, but we're waiting on him to fulfill it. And here's what I'd say. Go back to the last thing God said and do that. Go back to the last thing that God told you and do that. Saul had a command, go to Gilgal and wait. 
Not wait until it becomes unbearable to wait. Not wait until this circumstance. Go and wait. And when Saul was unsure what he was supposed to do, what he should have done is remembered or written it down in a prayer journal, I don't know, and pulled out the papyrus and said, okay, what did God say? He said, go and wait. Has it been all seven days? No, then you're not done. So we get overcomplicated in our minds. We're like, okay, let me seek this other thing and let me try to find this other thing. And we, we get our little red string together. We make our little maps and we try to connect the dots for God and make this plan. It's like, go back to what he said and keep doing that. Yeah, but it's taking too long. I know. But that doesn't change it for being the command of God. Are you with me? I get it. In this culture, things taking a long time sounds like a death sentence. But we serve a God who teaches us spiritual endurance, who teaches us to come before him and to come at his feet and, and, to, and to wait upon him and to build endurance that builds faith, that gives us hope. Some of you, God has spoken so clearly. He's commanded you to go, to step into something, but the journey has been long, it's been difficult, and now you're struggling to understand it, maybe even trying to find a workaround, you're trying to find other angles. I just, I want you to hear, go back to what God had said, what you wrote down when you so clearly knew that he was speaking to you and directing you and guiding you, and can I just say, do that. Do that. Man, God's called me to this job. I know he directed my steps, but man, it's difficult. Listen, if he hasn't said anything new, go back to the last thing he said and do that. What if I don't remember what he said? What if I haven't heard him speak in a while? What if it's been a while? What if I've never heard God speak? What if I don't really know? What is that? What is he telling me to do? Here's what I would say to you. Grab hold of the word of God. Saul didn't have the, the Bible in the way we had, but he had the law. And if Saul had clung to the law, like David said, he committed the law to his heart, Saul would have known. It's very clear in the law that priests offer the sacrifices that he doesn't. And if he had obeyed the law, because he had clung to it, he had put it in his heart, he had meditated on it, he would have known the words of God and he would have known, well, I know what I'm supposed to do because I know what God has spoken. See, some of you, you might not have like a, like a dead clear word from God moment, but I wanna encourage you, all of us have been given the word of God over our lives. And the word of God is so good. Don't you know the word of God is so good? Right, 2 Timothy says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You say, God, what are you saying to me? He says, oh man, you're gonna love this. I wrote it down for you, right? I wrote it down for you. I wrote it down for you. God, what are you saying? I wrote it down for you. I wrote, I had them write down. I inspired through the Holy Spirit, the word of God that wrote down and says to you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What has God said? What should I be doing? Go back to what he said. What did he say? To love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Are you doing that? That's the starting point. He said, love others as you love yourself. He said, come to me and receive rest. This is what God has already has told you. He's told you, go and make disciples. Go and share the gospel. God, what should I be doing in my workplace? He says, oh good, I wrote it down for you. Go and make disciples. 
sharing the gospel. Every moral, every ethical, every social direction you could ever need is in the word of God. He's inspired every word on the page and then given you the spirit to reveal truth. Because not only do we cling to the word of God, but we listen to the spirit in clinging to the word of God. You say, God, I need you to speak. Listen, the spirit is still speaking and moving. He's speaking in the prophetic. He's giving words. It might not be to you. It might be to the prayer team or someone near you, a leader that you trust, that God begins to speak a word and comes and imparts into you that you go to the word and confirm yes this word is true and good can I encourage you listen to the Holy Spirit last week we heard Saul when the Holy Spirit was upon him it said he prophesied what does that mean he spoke for God he began to speak out the things of God see when he's full of the spirit he began to know he began to know what the heart of God was because the spirit knows the heart of God did you know that the Holy Spirit scripture says knows the heart of God so when we walk with the spirit guess what we know the heart and the will and the word of God so when it feels like God is silent instead of saying well God must not be near me I'm going to pull away from him can I encourage you go into that intimate place with the Lord and embrace the Holy Spirit and be in the word and say Holy Spirit I need you to speak to me I think of it like this I like to go hiking with my family and you know when you have kids everything here is rocks so when they hike you know you get to spots that, you know they're really easy you go hike south mountain i don't know if you guys have hiked south mountain but there's spots that are just like you could drive a car on them they're so smooth but then you get to spots and they're super rocky so the spots that are smooth my daughter is like just running around everything right this rock that rock this thing over here up the trail back the trail up the trail back the trail she hikes eight times longer than i hike in 30 feet but when it gets rocky, where is she? Right here next to me, holding my hand. And it's not that she can't give it her best, but she's learned that we can do this and she's safe when she's with me. See, this is like when life gets difficult. This is like when it feels like God is running late. This is what happens when you feel like, man, I, I'm really in the struggle. I'm not sure where he is. Listen, it is not to go farther and try to find it for him. And maybe he's over here and maybe he's over here. It's to come back to where you know he is in his word with the spirit and to cling to him. And to say, I'm with you. Just like Lucy is right here holding hands and as a father and I know it's true about the father God that's like my favorite thing and she's just like right here and I'm like they look big like big rocks to her I'm like girl I could throw you over these rocks she weighed like 30 pounds in her mind they're like these are boulders this is crazy and then I feel like a giant because I'm just like right <laughs> I think God loves that for us just being like oh you think this is big look watch watch what I can do because I love you press deeper into his presence band you guys can come up Here's what I want to encourage you today. If you're in that place of waiting for God and you feel like you've been waiting for a long time, I want to encourage you, not by your own might, but by the Holy Spirit and the word of God, go back to what the Lord has said. Go back to what God has said to you. If you're like, you know what? I feel like God just gave me such a clear word for my family that they would be free of addiction. But pastor, it's been so hard. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard month. Let's talk about people who are believing for big things today. Like it's been a hard time. And I haven't seen it yet. And I'm wondering, I'm like Saul on day six. I'm not saying I'm gonna give up, but I'm just saying like eventually I'm gonna have to just do this on my own because I'm not sure where he is. 
I want you to know that God sees you and knows you and he knows your heart. And I also want to encourage you to go back to what he said and to hold fast to it. To hold fast to hope. To hold fast in faith. To cling to the Lord. To come to the altar in prayer and kneel before him and say, God, I once again give you everything. And it might be day five. It might be day six. It might be the morning of day seven. It might be lunchtime of day seven. It might even feel like evening of day seven. But until the very end, God, I'm going to cling to whatever you said. And I'm going to hold to it for my family. I'm going to hold to it for my spouse. I'm going to hold to it for this nation. I'm going to hold to it because I believe and I trust in you. And my faith is bigger than what I'm facing. And I refuse to bypass it. I refuse to, to make a workaround because I only want what comes from you, God. I don't want what comes just from my own effort. I don't want to work around it. I want to walk within obedience to you. But it takes a real moment of faith here this morning, church, where you have to choose, will I obey God when it's uncomfortable? Will I go back to what he said and will I hold fast to it? Saul couldn't, he couldn't do it. And because of that, he really missed out on something incredible. God says, I'm going to find somebody who will, who will go after it. I don't want you to hear that and live in fear right now. We live as part of the new covenant. You've received grace through Jesus Christ. So today, Jesus is not saying, listen, if, if you're not fully, you know, full of faith, then I'm kicking you out. But what he is saying is, listen, to follow me still requires obedience. But he's also saying to you because he loves you and he cares for you. He's saying, would you cling to me in this moment? Would you come back? Would you allow me by the power of the Holy Spirit to stir up hope within you? Do you know that our God's a good God? Then we sing these songs, your goodness is running after me. Even if it doesn't feel like it, it's true. The goodness of God is his character. Here's what I want to do. I want to invite you, would you stand with me? Maybe you're here, you don't know what to do. Maybe the enemy seems overwhelming. Maybe, man, it just feels like God is running late today. I want to encourage you that he's not. And to go back to the last thing he said, to stand upon the truth of his word, to be full of his spirit, and to live out in obedience of him and say, God, I trust you. For those of you, the response is simple today, to simply say, God, I trust you. I trust you in my family. I trust you in my health. I trust you in my finances. I trust you in my friendships. I trust you in this nation. I trust you in all things. I trust you, God. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we trust you this morning. We cling to you. Some of you, it's time to just reawaken some vision to go back to what God said. We're gonna pray for that in just a moment. In just a moment, I'm gonna have my prayer team come up. They're gonna be up here ready to pray for you. We're just gonna enter into a time of worship. And in just a second, I'm gonna release you. If that for you means that you need to come forward, this is a, this is a you declaration to come forward and, and lay your heart at the feet of Jesus. Maybe you need the Holy Spirit to renew a right heart within you. Maybe you need to say, God, I'm clinging to what you promised. I've, I've let it go, but I need you to restore it within me. Whatever it is, in just a second, I'm going to invite you forward to come to pray. And our team's going to come around you. But before we do that, every week, we give the opportunity for you to step into the kingdom of God. For those of you who may not know this Jesus that we're talking about. See, Jesus came to fulfill 
all that was promised, came to bring you new life. And it says that those who will confess with their mouth and believe with their heart that Jesus is Lord and Savior will be saved. And when you're saved, it means the old is gone, the old sin, the old shame is gone, and the new has come, the new life through Jesus Christ. And hear me today that every person who says yes to Jesus receives hope and healing, hope for the future and healing for the past. So if you're here today, this is the decision between you and the Lord. And you would say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior. I need you as my Lord and Savior. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you are Lord and raised from the dead. And today I'm confessing my sins to you and receiving the new life, not only for now, but for eternity, that my name would be in the Lamb's Book of Life, that I would have an eternity with you, Jesus Christ. If that's you today and you would say yes to Jesus, would you do me a favor? You and him right now, would you lift your hand up so I can see it and then put it down saying yes to Jesus today? Awesome, you can put that hand down. I'm gonna pray for you this morning and I really wanna encourage you. As you're standing there with your eyes closed, you've made this decision for yourself in this moment, but you don't have to walk out the journey by yourself. And I wanna encourage you that we want to walk this journey with you. So at the end of service, we're gonna be out by the, the next step table. Please come by and say, I said yes to Jesus. And we're gonna begin that journey with you. And it is going to bless your life like you could not imagine. Let's pray together though together. I just pray right now over your lives, those who raise their hand here today. And we pray, God, as we confess our sins before you and surrender our heart completely and confess you as Lord and Savior, we receive you as our God, as the one who's rescued us from all sin and shame. And we walk in new life and we rejoice in an eternity secured by your love. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can we praise the Lord? Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray for one more thing. You're really excited, but thank you. Oh, you're good. Ever going to blame you for praising God, Gillian? It's literally your job. <laughs> um, I just want to pray for one more thing in preparation for that. I said I was going to have a moment of altar, so I'm going to invite our prayer team. Would you come up right now? Here's what I wanna encourage you. If you need God to move in your life, we're gonna pray for you and we're gonna see God move in your life. I know it's a different altar call because normally it's like, hey, this thing and this thing, here's what I really believe. Do you need God to move in your life, in your family, whatever it is? Uh, as soon as she begins singing, she's ready. As soon as she begins. I'm gonna release you to come forward and receive prayer. And we've been praying for you. Did you know that? We were praying for you all morning. We believe we're gonna see God do something incredible and begin to lose things. Specifically, if you're here and you feel like you've been struggling, feeling stuck, we wanna pray for you. Because like, I've felt stuck. I've just been waiting and it feels aimless, waiting on God, waiting on the promise. We're gonna pray for you. We're gonna believe God's gonna put something fresh, a fresh vision in your heart today. The second thing is if you need healing, 
or you know someone who needs healing that you need to stand in the gap, we are believing for profound healings in the name of Jesus. Anyone believing for healing today in the name of Jesus? We're believing for healings today. So we're going to sing of the goodness of God to affirm what the Lord has said, that no matter what season you're in, go back to what he has promised and cling to it. But I'm going to release you. Let me pray for you. God, I pray right now. I thank you that your spirit is here. I thank you your spirit's here. Do you know the spirit of the Lord is here this morning? We thank you that your spirit is here. And I pray even so right now, would you begin to manifest in healing and power and authority. We didn't come here to play church, God. We long to see you move upon lives. We long to see you heal and restore whatever you're doing. God, relationships, God, whatever it is, we long for it right now. So God, I just ask you, Holy Spirit, would you begin to release in the spirit through you what we believe is present here today. Would you begin to stir in the name of Jesus? Let's worship the Lord. I release you. Let's pray together this morning. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.